The following program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, this is Carl the Macabre, but our first interview episode. So me and Kelly are here. Hi. And we have... Wait, do you want us to use your real name? Does it matter? Doesn't matter. And we have Courtney! Yay! Yay! She's a criminal lawyer and has been for how long? Uh, almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. Holy crap. I've known the bar in 2011. Oh my god. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. So you're like, you you know what's up. Like, (laughs) I hope so. Uh, What um, initially got you interested in criminal law? Was it something you were always interested in growing up? Um, my dad was a cop, uh, for a long time. He started out, he went to the Atlanta Police Academy in, like, 1963, 65, something like that. He was an undercover vice cop in the city of Atlanta. But what, I went to law school three years after undergrad. I had actually, while I was in undergrad, I was interning for a superior court judge, um, in a metro Atlanta county and watched a prosecutor uh, try a case, one of the first cases in Georgia that was tried on uh, what at that point was a new elder abuse statute. Mm. And I will never forget that case as long as I live. That guy got convicted. He had been uh, neglecting his mom. She was like, I think like 70 something years old. She had, If I remember correctly, she had had surgery or something and was living in his house. He was under the guise of him taking care of her. The When they finally found her, she was she wasn't dead or anything, but she when they finally got to her and were made aware that this was going on, she had covered in bed sores. <sighs> um, the windows were nailed shut or glued shut to the house. Oh my god! He was cashing her social security checks, um, but he went to prison for twenty years. God. And the prosecutor that tried that case is now a superior court judge, and she and her husband are going to be the godparents of our baby. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But Uh, she is why I went to law school. That's amazing. Holy crap. But also, how can someone just neglect their mom? What the fuck? Like, what kind of monster? Do you know how they found out? I don't remember. remember. I'm sure a neighbor said something. Yeah, I think it was a neighbor. Yeah. I I don't recall that um, off the top of my head, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Also, yeah, Courtney's pregnant and still working, which I'm just like, how do you go to court and, like, still be pregnant? I just am like, what? <laughs> I, I try to ingratiate myself to the judges and to the jury with my little just, baby bump. Yeah, that feels like it would work. Just be like, have it, you just, like, do a little rub every so often. Yeah, that's my co-counsel down there. Yeah, that's <laughs> my co-counsel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, um, we did have a couple people send questions. Um, one of my favorite questions was, Hunter really wants to know how you feel about Law & Order SVU. <laughs> um, it hits a little too close to home. I was an SVU prosecutor, so. Really? Yes. So you were. When did you stop being a prosecutor? I left the DA's office in September of 2018. Oh, wow. So pretty recently. Uh, about a year and a half ago. What are you doing now? I am a criminal defense attorney. Okay, so you went from being a prosecutor to defense. Yes. How is the switch on that? Um, you know, the lawyering is exactly the same. Um, you're still looking at both sides of every issue, um, and you're still looking for strengths and weaknesses on each side of the case. The primary difference that I find with defense work versus prosecution is really just client management. It's the, you know, 
it's talking to folks' family. You know, if the client has given you permission to speak with a family member about their case, it's explaining things to the client and then having to explain it to the family. And then having those conversations over and over and over again. Right. People don't understand. People that have never had any contact with the justice system, they don't understand. Something that's second nature to a lawyer, to a criminal lawyer, is not for someone that has never been arrested before. So what made you want to switch? Um, Honestly, my student loan debt. Oh, okay. So defense attorneys make a little more than prosecutors? Make a little bit more, yeah. Okay. Um, There is more that, I mean... I could probably make more money, but I'm not particularly good at marketing, nor do I want to spend, you know, all these hours of my life, like, whining and dining people. Mm-hmm. But, um... For anyone who's listening who might not even know, like, what the job of a prosecutor is, like, just a brief description on the difference, I suppose? Um, yeah. And prosecutors have a special place in my heart. Um, prosecutors have a really tough job. A lot of people think that being a prosecutor, your primary goal is to put people in prison. And that is not the goal of the prosecutor. The, the goal of the prosecutor is to do the right thing. And sometimes it is to seek justice. And the hard part about being a prosecutor is you have to ask yourself, you know, every day, what does justice look like in this case? And sometimes doing the right thing is putting somebody in prison for the rest of their life without parole. Sometimes it's dismissing a rape case that you think happened, but knowing that you can't prove it. So that, that's the tough part about being a prosecutor. But yeah, it's it's to do the right thing. It's not necessarily to put people in prison. Okay. I guess I'm thinking of scenarios because it's always like, which side are you on? Are they guilty or are they innocent? And like, does the opinion of the lawyer on whether or not they believe they're guilty or innocent or just doing their job? Um, Kind of at a the thing. End of the, yeah. At the end of the day, it is just a job. And I think you have to, there's a certain amount of compartmentalization that you have to have to do, whether you're a prosecutor or a defense attorney, or whether you're a civil litigator, or a, I mean, or a med mal lawyer, I mean, whatever, there's a certain amount of compartmentalization that you have to have, because you have to be able to look at it objectively, mm-hmm. um, to make the right, to make the best decision that you can in light of what you have in front of you, and to be able to communicate that to your client, or if you're a prosecutor, to your victim. You, you and I were talking earlier today, Katie, about gallows humor. Yes. And that that's a big thing. I mean, that is a real thing that happens. Gallows um, humor? Gallows humor, yeah, where you take things that to an ordinary person, to an ordinary lay person, you know, an accountant or a teacher that doesn't deal with, you know, dark, twisted stuff or the what my mother calls the underbelly of society every day, mm-hmm. you have to be able to deal with that and cope with that in some kind of way. And a lot of, a lot of prosecutors and defense attorneys I know will deal with it in a gallows humor kind of way. They make inappropriate jokes. It's one of those, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Right. Kind right. Of yeah. It's kind of like uh, our podcast and a lot of other, like, like true crime podcasts that mm. make jokes about, like, all these horrific monsters and, like, right. killers, rapists, mm. and whatnot, but how we're also able to make jokes about it. It's a coping mechanism. Right. So I imagine it has to be really important yes. if you're in that line of work to not lose your mind. Because <laughs> yeah. it is hard, especially doing SVU, it's difficult to not take it home with you. Because you're seeing the worst possible things that anyone could do to another person. And you're having to maintain that distance and not, you know, look at child pornography and be, and just completely shut down. Like you have to be able to look at that in a clinical way and be able to make a decision about it and be able to, you know, talk to a judge about it or talk to a jury about it without losing, without losing it. Have you had a lot of cases that involve child pornography? More than I care to oh, really remember. But yeah. I just 
hate that. And it sucks because you have to look at all of it. Yeah, I can't imagine. you. I, so it's not like your typical nine-to-five job, I right? Like, you have to take it home and do your research, and you're, like, exposed to it constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's – and taking it home – you take it home physically, like you physically take home files. Right. Mm-hmm. But you take it home mentally, you take it home emotionally. A lot of people are in therapy. A lot of people ought to be in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I can, yeah, I bet. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, so that's one thing. Um, when I, when Alex first told me, sorry, I guess anyone listening, uh, my brother is a lawyer. Uh, when he first told me he wanted to be a lawyer, I was like 15 because he was 25. And in my mind, I was like, oh, that makes sense. You're able to retain, like, everything you read which makes me so angry and like remember everything it just seemed like he just always seemed like he could argue his way out of literally anything which was also infuriating as a younger sibling and I remember thinking to myself oh like I wonder if that's something I could do and in my mind I thought of all of those things and I'm like I just don't think I have like quite the mind and personality to be able to handle it without like Losing a part of myself, potentially, in the work. It's really amazing what so many people in criminal law are able to do that I just have so much respect for because I just feel like I personally couldn't. It's a lot to take off. I couldn't do it. You know, like, when I was younger, as a, you know, I was 10 when Legally Blonde came out, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, like, I want to be a defense attorney. Yeah, like, 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 what? Like, like it's hard. That. Like, yeah, what? exactly. <laughs> you know, and I actually knew a lot of girls my age who were, like, so inspired to get into law because of Ella Woods, which I think is, like, great, but also, like, also a lot of those girls didn't really know, like, what they were getting into. What more of the job really was outside yeah. of, like, being cute while, like, helping you know, helping your friend get off, helping your friend get out of prison or something, you know? (laughs) And, um, the other thing you have to think of is I feel like sometimes as a defense attorney, like you're going to be defending someone who is guilty. And I think that would just fuck with me too much. Have you ever had to do that? Oh yeah. You thought you like knew the vast majority of criminal defendants are guilty. Yeah. I mean, they just are, but just because they're guilty doesn't mean they don't have constitutionally protected rights. The state has to do it right. And I was a prosecutor for a long time. I know, you know, the state has to do it right. And I'm sure that I've failed, you know, a lot of times, but I tried to do the right thing. And I tried to do it the right way. Um, but that's, that's why the, the criminal defense bar is so important is because it, the system doesn't work unless everybody has plays their role and unless everybody does the job that they're supposed to do. It is an adversarial system. The prosecutor is advocating for justice the defense attorney is advocating for their client's rights, but justice is achieved when everybody does what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, the police aren't allowed to just walk up to you on the street and search you right, for whatever. They're not allowed to pull you over for, you know, driving for quote, driving while black. They've like, they've got to have a reason. They've got to support what they do. I've had times where I was pulled over for no reason and nothing happened and they just let me go and it was really weird and I still have no idea like why and I wonder if it's because I had like a really shitty car at the time they were profiling the car or something. Probably had like, something to do with it. It's just like it's really fucked up. I've heard I've heard crazy stories of uh, someone they got pulled over and the police officer asked if they could search their car. And their car was just, like, they had just moved, and it was filled to the brim of just stuff. And it was just a mess. And the guy knew that the only way the officer had the right to search the car is if he said it was okay. And so he literally looked at the cop and was like, you really 
you really want to shift through all of this stuff in hopes of finding something. Because, like, and the guy said, he goes, I know I don't have anything bad in here. And so, almost just to be kind of, like, passive-aggressive, he was like, sure, go through all of it. And apparently he had a friend at one point in time leave, like, the tiniest, littlest roach that was, like, under one of the seats that happened to have, like, some weed in it. And he got arrested for it. It was I just heard shit like that, like, all the time. And it's, some cops are really digging for things to find. Not all of them, but some of them. And and that's (laughs) true. And some of them, I mean, it's like any group of people. There are bad apples in every bunch. Right. And there are, you know, the vast majority of police officers that I have ever come into contact with are good people that are going to work to do a thankless job and put their lives in danger every single day to serve their community. Right. Your father is a cop. Um, And my, my dad was one of those people. But there are some cops out there that have no business having a badge in the back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, as a prosecutor, I remember having a case um, where these guys got were getting gas in a municipality in the county where I live and weren't doing anything wrong. They didn't have, I mean, I think their tag light was out or just something dumb. And this cop saw them and thought they looked kind of sketchy. It was, you know, a, a couple of white guys driving some beat up old pickup truck. I think, you know, had out-of-state tags. I don't recall from where. But they had this tag light out, and the cop walks up to them and is like, you know, hey, can I search your car? And they're like, no. And by the way, for anyone listening, if a cop ever says, can I search your car, you say no, because you have the right to tell them that they can't search your car. But these guys, you know, they kept saying, no, you can't search my car. No, you can't search my car. And they were like, well, can we search your person? And the dudes were like, sure, yeah. And they cop searched their person, didn't find anything, kept asking, can we search your car? Can we search your car? And they kept saying no. Finally, they bring a drug dog out there. And they run the drug dog around the car, and they found, like, 200-something grams of meth. In, oh, my God. In a bag, like, underneath one of the seats or something. What and, the sh- Holy crap. Okay, yeah. And But they're not allowed to do that. They had yeah. no, they had no, they did not have justification to what's called prolong that stop to wait for a drug dog to get there. That's yeah. fair. They had nothing. All they had was a tag light violation. They didn't have any kind of nervousness. They didn't have anybody trying to run from them. They didn't have, I mean, they didn't have anything. Yeah. And they sat there and asked these guys if they could search the car a dozen times while they were waiting on the drug dog. And these guys kept saying no, which they were constitutionally able to do. And I had to dismiss that case. Wow. I straight up dismissed that case because they violated the hell out of these guys' Fourth Amendment rights. Yeah. Um. So say that does happen to you, a cop has stopped you or is harassing, I, I guess I'd call that harassment at that point if they're saying over and over and over again, waiting for a drug dog to get there. Yeah. Do you have any sort of right to be able to leave or do you have to wait until the cop is done with you? Um, You can ask the cop, am I free to go? And, like, because at that okay. point they had, you know, the cop could have written them a ticket for the tag light violation. Right. Mm-hmm. But at that point, the cop did not have, did not have cause, did not have sufficient evidence to hold them or to incarcerate them. Right. And I guess he, I mean, depending on what jurisdiction you live in, you know, they may be able to arrest you on a tag light violation, but I've never seen anyone arrested on yeah, a tag light I've violation. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. Um, but, you know, they, you know, those guys, if that ever happens to them again, they could have said, you know, am I free to go? Are you going to write me a ticket for my tag light violation? I'd like to leave now. I'd like to go on about my day. But it is up to the cop whether or not they are allowed to leave. The cop has to say sure. I mean, the cop can arrest them, but they've got to have a reason to arrest them. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just... Good to know. Yeah, it's good to know. There's just weird... I mean, so like I said earlier, when I had my old 
beat up first Corolla. I just had cops pull me over more than I've ever had cops pull me over with nothing happening. Mm -hmm. No, nothing. And so one time my tag light was out and this is is like 10 years ago or something like that. It was a long time ago. Um, It was late at night. I had just dropped my boyfriend at the time off at home and I was driving back home and I literally, as I pulled into my neighborhood, a cop car pulled me over, and it was, like, around midnight, and I was like, okay, well, I wasn't speeding or anything. I was literally just turning in here, so, okay. I didn't realize two cop cars actually pulled me over. There's a second one that came up behind him, and so I saw the first one, and I was looking over my shoulder, and I saw that guy get out of his car as I was looking over my right shoulder, and then there's a knock on my left, which scared the crap out of me, and I'm wearing literally pajamas with slippers. Like, I'm not, like, fully dressed. I literally was just dropping him off and coming back home. Right. And the guy asked me to get out of my car, which was weird. I was expecting him to ask me for my ID. And I was just like, what? Like, I didn't know my rights in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was really freaked out because I've also heard horror stories of, like, people pretending to be cops or cops sexually violating women or, like, just... just crap like that I'm like constantly terrified of <laughs> um, I'm constantly terrified of someone tricking me and being able to rape me or something you know so I was just like I don't care what uniform you're wearing like I want to know <laughs> if it's safe it's the middle of the night and there's two of you all of a sudden and I have no idea why I'm being pulled over I'm alone and I'm not even wearing a bra so like I would really like to know why you want me to get out of my car did he tell you he said that the tag lights out okay and I was like okay well uh, you can, I was like, why does that require me to get out of my car though? Cause I've, I've had my tag light be out in the past and mm-hmm. not once have I ever had anyone ask me to get out of the car. And they said that they have to physically see me, see that it's out, which I had never heard of at all. And I haven't heard of since. I mean, so, that might be a department policy, but that's not a state So one. I got really like sketched out by that. And so after a minute he could tell that I was like visibly frightened. Mm-hmm by him Mm -hmm. and so I was just kind of like do you mind like stepping like I was trying to find a weird way to tell him to like give me space without seeming like suspicious of something right yeah and so I kind of like got out I think he saw at that point I like wasn't really wearing clothing right and I like scooted over and like saw the tag that was out and I was like okay and I like got back in the car and he was like okay and just left didn't write me a ticket, nothing. And it was the weirdest experience. That's really awkward. And so I think maybe they thought I had a stolen car or something, like, and they were trying to run the tag and they had to pull me over to see it. I don't really know what it was, why there was, I don't know why there was two of them. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know why they needed me to get out of the car. It was really bizarre, but it really freaked me out. Yeah. Because I was scared they were going to grab me or touch me or something. Like, that was just what I expected. And And that's awful. I hate that people... I hate that people think that way about police. Like, it shouldn't be, it I shouldn't know, be that way. I you know normally I mean? don't, but yeah. that particular circumstance was weird. Yeah, that like, is weird. something felt weird. Because normally weird. when a cop pulls me over, I know why I'm being pulled over. Right. I've only ever been pulled over for minor traffic violations or yeah. something like speeding or, ta- it's always been speeding or tag is expired. Yeah. Or tag light out. That's it. Never anything else. I, I usually know what to expect. Yeah, right. <laughs> the only one that surprises me is the tag light being out because I don't see my car light on when I'm in the car. Right. Yeah, I, I had a friend who, um, she got pulled over and she, he was like, ma'am, do you know that your light is out? And she's like, how would I know that? I'm never behind my car. Like, <laughs> I'm never behind 
never behind my own car. Yeah, like, she's not wrong. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, that's... Like how, that's like, brilliant. Like, <laughs> I, like, I know if I'm speeding and I know if my tag is expired, but how am I supposed to know the lights out without yeah. someone else telling me? If I live alone, I don't know. Yeah, like, I've never <laughs> had a cop ask me that. He's like, your tag, is, or your light is out. That's why you're being pulled over. And they've never been like, so did you know your light is out? No. How would I know that? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, so Rhea uh, submitted the question, how does the statute of limitations work? And why was it introduced? That is a good question. The statute of limitations um, is essentially it's a time frame that is set out in there is a general statute of limitations uh, statute in Georgia um, that provides that uh, misdemeanors have to be formally charged within two years of the date of the offense. So the date of the commission of the offense Um, with felonies, it's all different. Some of them is four, some of them is seven, some of them are life, um, depending on the offense. The more serious ones, rape, murder, things like that. Um, if there's DNA, you can, like if they didn't have DNA before and they have DNA now, you can, you have a little bit more time. Um, but a statute of limitations is the time frame in which the state has the ability to formally charge the accused. So a warrant is not a formal charge. The... In Georgia, it is either an indictment or an accusation. So when you hear about a grand jury, that's that's an indictment. The grand jury will hear the case, hear evidence about the case, either from you know the investigating officer or a witness or whatever, depending on who you know, depending on what kind of case it is. And they will hear that evidence and they will decide whether there's probable cause to bind that over to to go to trial. That's called handing down an indictment or what's called a true bill. With an accusation in Georgia, the district attorney or the solicitor general of a jurisdiction is allowed to charge someone by accusation on all misdemeanor offenses and then some felony offenses um, without seeking grand jury indictment. Uh, In Georgia, it's theft, forgery and fraud, most drug cases, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. And then there are a few other ones that float around in there that you can charge by accusation. Everything else has to be done by indictment. And that formal charging document has to be filed within a certain amount of time. That certain amount of time is the statute of limitations. I don't know why, for certain, why that was ever introduced. I would imagine it's something to do with this, with your right under the Constitution to a speedy and public trial. Um, in other words, the state can't just sit on a charge for years and years and years, right. knowing that it exists, knowing that the evidence is there, and just not act on it. But like I said, there are certain certain offenses for which the statute is longer. Um, and certain circumstances under which the statute is told, T-O-L-L-E-D, told. So it stops running until a certain other thing happens. So like if a defendant is deported and is not in the country and they're charged with doing something and you can't find them, you can't get them here, you can toll the statute of limitations. In um, cases where a child is the victim, the statute of limitations doesn't begin to run until... Either that child reaches the age of 16 or that child informs law enforcement that the, the offense happened. At that point, that's when the statute starts running, whichever comes first. Okay. So, like, a victim of child molestation, if they, at age 14, disclose that, you know, Uncle Joe touched me, then the prosecutor has seven years from that date to charge that case. If that child doesn't say anything at age 16, that seven-year statute starts to run. Okay. That's interesting. 
Yeah. I was about to say, because I feel like sometimes we always, <clears throat> we're always talking about, like, a lot of murder and sexual assault cases, and then we'll go into, like, what happened to them, like, did they end up being in prison or being killed or whatever. Majority of the times, though, we just see, like, in these stories we are always talking about and bringing up, I wish I had, like, very specific ones at the top of my head, but I don't right now. It feels like so many times people just aren't in prison for as long as I feel like they need to be for yeah. things like sexual assault and murder. And so another question I guess I have is, um, I know it's different per state, but I found out through hearing all these stories that life in prison isn't actually literally Your whole life, life in yeah. prison. It's usually a certain amount of years. So in Georgia, a life sentence, there are two kinds of life sentences. You can get life without the possibility of parole, which means the only way you leave prison is in a pine box. Um, <laughs> there is also life with the possibility of parole. If you hear someone say, I just got a life sentence, generally you can you can assume that that is life with the possibility of parole. Okay. On a life sentence, um, as long as it's a life, as long as it's just a straight life sentence, not life without parole, you are eligible for parole after you have served 30 years from the date of your incarceration. Okay. So, so that could potentially mean, like, I was given life in prison, but... I- it could also be, I'm just going to be in prison for 30 years. Right. And parole is not guaranteed. That's just when you are eligible for parole consideration. So um, how would someone be eligible for parole? Uh, is that based off of stuff like good behavior? Or maybe they found other evidence for the case that might give you, I don't know, um, in a sense. Not, yeah, it's not, that question makes sense. It's not generally other evidence on the case. But you are eligible for parole consideration as a matter of right. By the statute, the statute says you're eligible for parole consideration at 30 years. So when you're coming up on 30 years, the parole board's going to get your file and they're going to consider a lot of things. They're going to consider, you know, the facts of the case. They're going to consider, you know, what you pled to. They're going to consider your disciplinary history. Yeah, your behavior in, in prison. You know, did you take advantage of programs in prison? Did you take advantage of educational opportunities? Have you, you know, did you try to keep your nose clean and stay out of trouble? Or did you join a prison gang? Things like that. <laughs> like, do we feel like you've truly used this yeah, to you, better yourself? Right. Have you have you done what you can to rehabilitate yourself? You know, or are you... Still a menace to society. Right, yeah. <clears throat> are yeah, are exactly. you lead of the Nazi gang in your prison? Like, <laughs> Right. Okay. <clears throat> All right, that makes sense. I, I had always kind of wondered when we hear about people getting out on good behavior yeah and then there's just, certain people it's just like they, they just dig themselves a hole i read or i saw this documentary um it's actually on netflix it's called i am a killer where they interview mm-hmm. all the people who are on death row and I, there was one in particular where this guy he got him when he was super young and then he kept getting in trouble and mm-hmm. kept getting like more sentences on top of it to the point where he was just like well screw this i'm just gonna put myself on death row to like where he killed another inmate so that he couldn't be he row. just wanted to be on death row. He was just yeah. sick of it. Yeah, he was just sick of it. So weird, but yeah, I guess some people are just like that. Yeah. Well, also he was getting <clears> put <throat> in solitary confinement constantly. Oh. And he wasn't on good terms with the officers. Whatever. Um, How does death row work? Because I hear that you can be put on death row, but you could be, you could be there for a long time. for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it that you're not killed immediately or sooner? So it's the appeals. Okay. Um, in the state of Georgia, so Georgia obviously has the death penalty. Um, I think we're one of, oh gosh, it's either, 
38 states maybe that has the death penalty, or maybe wow. the other way around. But in any event, Georgia does have the death penalty. Actually, someone, I mean, somewhat, the jury has imposed the death penalty here pretty recently um, in Gwinnett County on a woman who was accused of starving her child to death. Wow. Um, but yeah, so once you get once you get convicted, there are any number of ways that you can appeal your conviction. And it's that appeals process that turns into just years and years and years and years and years. And a lot of people sit on death row for 20, 30 years. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's like better on death row, like the treatment and... That I don't know. No? Okay. That I don't know. There aren't too many people on... In, in Georgia, obviously, I think there's only one female right now on death row in Georgia. Wow. There had been another one, but she was executed. She was actually also convicted in Gwinnett County. Um, she was executed, I want to say, in 16 or 17. Her name was Kelly Gissendanner. She um, convinced her boyfriend to kill her husband. Wow. And he testified against her, and she got convicted and got the death penalty. Wow. And he, and he just and got, he, like, a few years in no, prison? No, Oh, he just got, okay, he got life. Okay, so he's still, okay. I did uh, want to ask, so when you're involved in a case that death penalty is placed on the person, do you have to be there when the death penalty takes place, like when they are killed? Um, as you talk about as a prosecutor? Or yeah, as a, as a prosecutor. Um, the prosecutors are always invited to attend the execution. They're invited to attend, but you know. They're don't invited to attend the execution. Um, sometimes they choose to go, sometimes they don't. My opinion is if you're going to ask a jury to to have someone executed, that you ought to have the balls to go and observe it yourself. Right, because you put that on someone, you mm-hmm. should be a part of it, mm-hmm. as opposed to just pretending it never happened. Have you been a part of a lot of cases that did end up in being the death penalty? No, I have never been, I have never been, um, I've never worked on a capital case. Okay. Um, and for those of you listening, a capital case is a case that the death penalty can be sought. Um, in Georgia, capital cases are classified as capital cases if by statute you can seek the death penalty. The United States Supreme Court has said that you can't seek the death penalty unless there's a body. Okay. Um, but a capital case, I have never worked on um, a death penalty case. Okay. I've worked on every possible other kind of case, but not a death penalty case. Okay. Have, uh... Is death penalty only reserved for murders, or can it also be for people who've done, like, extreme assault, sexual assault? Um, by statute in Georgia, there are uh, there are offenses other than murder in which the death penalty could be... Respond. ...could be sought. The United States Supreme Court has said that it is a violative of the Eighth Amendment against cruel and unusual punishment to execute someone who has not had a part in killing somebody. Okay, so you said recently there was a woman who they passed the death penalty on is because she was basically starving her child. Mm-hmm. So that could be considered like attempted murder. No, she killed the kid. Oh, she, oh, the kid died. The kid died. Oh shit. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, the kid died. Uh, how come attempted murder and actual murder isn't tried the same? All it means is that you failed at what you set out to do. I feel the same way about attempted rape versus actual rape. It just always seems really shitty to me. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's like, oh, should I have shitty. let them rape me just so I could get them, you know, no, but uh, I mean, to the, try it as rape? I don't know. Yeah, certainly. Both of those are, are absolutely 100% shitty. But, I mean, an actual completed murder is worse than someone staying alive. And an actual completed rape, I expect, is worse than... Just being scared that you're going to get right. Right. Um, and ideally, you can't punish someone for something they haven't done yet. Yeah. 
It just sucks because it's like sometimes, you know, a murderer thinks they finished the job and the person ends up being alive as far as that person is, you know, concerned. They Mm -hmm. murdered somebody, but that person happened to survive and was able to, you know, identify the killer and get them convicted and everything. It just feels so shitty that that has to be tried as attempted as opposed to actual murder. Like, um... Like, they thought they did it, you know? Like, uh, that one case, um... Like, so many cases. (laughs) But there's one that comes to my mind, um... Oh, 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 the girl who got her arm cut off. Yeah. Yes! Oh, my God! That... This case is insane. I'm sure you know you know. What's her name? Karen? No. No, it's definitely not Karen. It's, uh... It's... This is driving me nuts, because we used to know her name off the top of our head. I know. We used to talk about her all the time. There's this girl... Ooh, it was in the 70s. She was hitchhiking, and um, she just, like, was walking for so long she was about to pass out, and so this older man, you know, picked her up, and she fell asleep, and he tied her up while she was asleep, and he just, like, raped her for, like, 24 hours, basically, and then when he went to go leave her for dead, he cut off her arms. Yeah, he cut off both of her arms and shoved her down into, like, a quarry, and she survived. survived. She survived, and he thought she was dead, and she climbed all the way up with her little, like, she put mud on her little stumps and climbed her way up that yeah. quarry, completely naked, covered in mud, Must have blood, looked like a zombie. Looked like a freaking zombie. Like, the first car that saw her sped away terrified. The second car was a couple on their honeymoon, oh and they God. and they picked her up and rushed her to the hospital, and, like, she was able, apparently this man had done this to other no, so they no, couldn't. Was they couldn't convict him of it. So that's the thing. He got attempt, or he got convicted of attempted murder. But like that's this man, she's, but that's because she's not dead, right? Yeah, because and so like he went away for like maybe he, seven, ten years, and he got he got parole and got out, and then he went and killed somebody else. Like yeah, he did right after, later. like right after he got out, he like raped and murdered another girl. And, oh, my God, it was absolutely nuts. And I remember, because when he got parole, he was trying to go back to his hometown, which is Tampa, Florida. Everybody protested. And everyone every protested. They were, like, every city tried to go to people in that city, because it was a really big case. It was on the news that they protested him, and he, like, wasn't allowed to enter the city. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, it was a big deal. Nuts. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was, that was a crazy, what is her name? It's driving me nuts. Yeah, I don't like that. I can't remember it. I know. God, but yeah, no, that story, like, that gave me chills. I heard the story and was like, ah, this, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I was driving to Florida when I was listening to this story and had to, like, pull over on the side of the road and, like, take a minute. So I was like, this is horrible. Because she, she survived. She tells the story, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a first-person account. It's not like, oh. It, the thing is, most people that are prosecuted for felony offenses, I don't believe are bad people. Most people are, you know, they're they're desperate, they're poor, they're you know, they're uneducated, they're they're destitute, they're addicted to some sort of substance, they've got mental health issues. Most of them are not bad people. Some of them are bad people, some of them are little boys that think they thugs and think it's nuts that they put a gun in somebody's face. Yeah. Some people are monsters. And the monsters are the ones that like that are like what you're talking about. Yeah. And the monsters are the ones that when you're thinking about what does justice look like in this case as a prosecutor those are the people that you send to prison for the rest of their life down parole. Absolutely. You have to deal with the monster oh, yeah. Your... oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Would you care to share your worst story um, with us? Let's see. I had a I prosecuted a guy that was a serial rapist, and I'm sure there were bodies in some, you know, forest in Mississippi that he had killed. Um he uh raped a bunch of prostitutes. 
and he ended up he ended up entering a plea once we found all the prostitutes that were all over there were four or five of them I think that were all over the country we finally found them all and they were ready to come and testify at his trial and he ended up entering a plea and he got life without parole and then some rape is a rape is one of the offenses in Georgia that you can get life without parole for um, just by good. statute that's good I like that um, <laughs> I tried a guy for rape several years ago who actually he had um he was i mean you could look in this guy's eyes and know he was a monster he his criminal history wasn't too i mean it was pretty unremarkable i mean he had he had felony convictions but they weren't like bad i mean i think there was maybe like one or two drug case one or two drug offenses and then like i think a burglary and a couple of thefts like it wasn't anything that was that would have piqued your interest and been like oh this is a bad bad dude you know and in Georgia, there is something called, uh, you've heard of recidivist. You've heard of someone being a recidivist? I actually haven't. Or a recidivist. Uh, you want to reduce the amount of recidivism in the criminal justice system. That's reoffending. In Georgia, the recidivist punishment statute is for people that have one prior felony conviction. There is a certain way that you're supposed to be sentenced. For people that have three prior felony convictions and then subsequently do another felony, uh, you have to get the maximum on a maximum amount of time on the sentence for each offense that you're charged with. And on top of that, any amount of time that the judge orders to be served in confinement is without the possibility of parole. So this particular person, he was charged with rape and he beat the shit out of this girl and tied her up, tased her, beat the shit out of her. And he, um, he was young. He was like 20, 24, 25. Oh my God. That's young. I mean, when was, I think of serial rapists, I just think of like older yeah. creepy dudes. And I don't know. I don't think this guy was a serial rapist. I mean, I just, oh, think, okay. he was, I just think he was a monster. He uh, had he had some other felonies, but nothing bad. Oh, okay. Sorry. In my mind, um, I was still on the guy who raped four prostitutes yeah, in Mississippi. Yeah, no, this was a different dude. This is a different guy. Okay, and so. This guy, he was 24, 25, but he raped an acquaintance of his. Wow. And I mean, and I'm talking beat the shit out of her, tased her, tied her up. I mean, knock her like, out. Tortured her, basically. He didn't torture her, but I mean, he, oh. this assault probably lasted, in the grand scheme of things, you know, and I mean, I hate to say it wasn't that long, but again, you're a little desensitized to it when you do it all the time. Right. Um, assault probably lasted half an hour, which to the victim, I'm sure, felt like an eternity. Right. Um, but he had, he tied her up, he beat the shit out of her, she had taze marks all over her, uh, bloody nose, all that kind of, Gosh. you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and then he raped her. And she was able, finally, she was able to get away. Uh, she called the police. She makes this just hysterical 911 call, crying. I've been beat up and tasted and raped. Here's who did it. I mean, she named him. She's like, it's at, it was at his house. Here's where he lives. I'm in the car. My boyfriend came to pick me up. Blah, blah, blah. And this 911 call was just, I mean, so compelling. And, I mean, you could tell. I mean, you could listen to it and just feel how desperate and terrified this girl was. And... The police show up to this guy's house, and so because at this point he's a C recidivist, he's a three-time, five-time convicted felon. Right. If he gets convicted of a rape in the state of Georgia, he's getting life without parole. The judge has no discretion. Oh, okay. Um, because the max on rape is life without parole. So because he had all those felonies, if he got convicted, he was going to get life without parole. Okay, so your criminal record does... Add yes, on to your it potential sentence. It follows you. That's what it means. Okay. To be recidivist is you're you're reoffending over and over. Again. That makes that makes sense. As a prosecutor, you have the discretion to plea bargain. So I had told the defense attorney that I would offer if the guy wanted to plead and not make my victim get up and testify in front of a jury, 
about all this terrible, awful stuff that he did to her, <clears throat> then I would withdraw that recidivist notice and let him plead to the minimum on a rape, which was 25 years in confinement without parole, followed by the rest of his life on probation. Wait, 25 years of confinement? In the prison system. Okay, does that mean, like, solitary confinement? No, just confinement is... Oh, it just means being in prison. Sorry, when I hear confinement, my brain just goes to solitary confinement. I'm like, oh, they just can do that? (laughs) Never mind, okay. (laughs) So, this girl, you know, she calls the police. The police come, they're dispatched, and this guy's there waiting for him, and he's, like, a little too cooperative. You know what I mean? Like, just a little, just a little too cooperative. They get a search warrant for his house. In his house, they find the duct tape. They find... The knife that he used, they find the taser, they they find, you know, sheets on his bed with her blood on them. Yeah. They collect all that like stuff. heaps of evidence. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything that she tells the sexual assault nurse examiner. They find. They find evidence to corroborate that at the scene. And they're like, we want to talk to you. Will you come Will you come to the police department with us and do an interview? And he's like, sure, no problem. So they put him in the interview room, and it's all video recorded. And he sits there, and, you know, he's like, look, I never touched her, she's lying. What? And he was so, I mean, stone-faced. No, completely flat affect, like, I, I don't know, I don't know what she's talking about. I never laid a hand on her. I never touched her. She's lying. And I was watching the interview, like, when I got the case as a prosecutor, I watched the interview and I was like, holy shit. I mean, I believe the dude that he didn't do it. But I'm looking, wow. at, but I'm looking at these pictures of this victim and she's got taze marks all over her. She's got red marks around her wrists, red marks around her ankles, red marks around her neck, around her face. She's got a bloody nose. She's bruised up. The whole nine yards. And I'm going, someone beat the shit out of this woman. And he's just cool as a cucumber. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know nothing about nothing. I didn't do anything. And the investigator is sitting there like, man, you know, if you fucked her, now's the time to tell me. <laughs> like, it's not when I take a rape warrant. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, we really did have sex this morning, you know, I just, you know, she had a boyfriend and blah, blah, blah. If you, if you had sex with her and it's buyer's remorse, like, you need to tell me now. And he's like, I never laid a hand on her, I never touched her. And the investigator said, all right, cool, well, I'm going to get a search warrant for your penis. To swab your penis. <laughs> Wait, you can her. do that? Yeah. Oh, man. I so she says, that. I'm going to get a search warrant for, and swab your penis for her DNA. Is her DNA going to be on your penis? And he said, no. And she said, all right, well, sit tight. And she had to go get a nurse, the sexual assault nurse, to come and do the swab. So there he sits in the interview room with the video camera on. And he sits there for a few minutes. And he looks behind him because the door is behind him. He looks around, turns back, looking straight at the camera. So he knows. I mean, I don't know how big it is. It's a little pinhole camera. But he pulls his arms inside of his shirt, puts his hands down his pants, unbuttons his pants, sniffs his hands, starts licking his finger, licking his hands, and starts rubbing his penis in the interview room on the video. And the investigator was watching on the monitor in the next room and was like, holy shit. So then she's watching this, and he zips himself up, he sits back, he waits two or three minutes, does it again. And she's like, oh my god, this never happens. Well, that's better than DNA. <laughs> so she yeah. comes in, and they take the swab, like it's nothing, you know, she gets a search warrant, no problem. They come in, they take the swab, she sits down and is like, hey, man, I, here's what I saw. And he looked at her, just cool as a cucumber. That's not what I did. I just was rubbing my, I had an itch on my thigh. I was just doing that. And she's like, that wasn't what you were doing. I sat here and watched you. Cool as a cucumber. I mean, pathological. Like, just, like, it was nothing. That's not what happened. And she's like, okay, well, congratulations. You're going to jail for rape. So she leaves the room. And then, you know, of course, 10 minutes later, knock, knock, knock. Yeah, yeah, we actually did have sex this morning. 
And she's like, yeah, no shit. I mean, like, come on. Oh, my God. So then, come to find out, sure enough, not only is the whole licking your hands and rubbing your dick better than having DNA, now that you've lied about it, but there was also DNA. He basically confessed. He basically (laughs) confessed without confessing. And um, he wound up, he wound up getting convicted, obviously. Um, And he got life without parole. But in, um, in his interview, I mean, it's just. So you offered the plea? I offered him to plea and he said, no, he wanted to try. He he wanted to go to trial. He wanted to go to trial. Some people just need 12 people in a jury box to look at them and tell them they're guilty. And he was not about to admit it. And in closing argument, and I will never forget, this was a four or five day jury trial. And his mother was there the whole time. And his mother was one of the sweetest ladies I have ever met in my life. Oh. And she she had some of the belongings of the the victim knew him through his girlfriend. And some of the girlfriend's stuff was in their house. And, you know, and this mama is like, look, I've got a box of her stuff. You know, she doesn't want to talk to me. I understand that. But this is being the victim's friend. You know, but I've got it. Can I give it to you? I just, I want her to have it. You know, she's got there's like pictures and there's like a blanket and stuff. You know, can I just give it? Nice lady in the world. And I told her before closing, I said, I'm going to get up here. I'm going to call your son some really ugly things. And I'm going to have some really, really nasty things to say about your kid. You may not want to be here for this. She said, you do what you got to do. I'm here. I can't, I can't leave my boy alone. And she said, but where did I go wrong? I mean, it broke my heart. It absolutely broke my heart. And he just, I mean, dead behind the eyes. Like, it's like there's something missing in there's his something brain. Missing. But that's a monster. And that that guy deserved to go to prison for the rest of his life and die and die as a state inmate. Yeah. 100%. Oh, I just, man, there's just some people where they just have like the nicest family. There's just, that's terrifying though to just like know that there's people out there that just have that disconnect mm-hmm. who can never admit to like themselves or others mm-hmm. that, you know, they done terrible things well and you know and i'm sitting here and i'm four and a half months pregnant and you know there is a little person in here that i already love more than i can even i mean i can't even quantify it It, it's just it's so overwhelming i can't fathom being in that lady's shoes yeah and thinking to myself oh my god where did i go wrong yeah like this surely i didn't raise a monster like, yeah. is that my fault? I mean, it just it broke my heart. It absolutely just broke my heart. That reminds me of when we watched that Ted Bundy documentary, and he just had, like, the nicest family, and he has mm-hmm. other siblings, and they're all fine. None of them are psycho, serial killer, murder, rapists, yeah. cannibals, or necrophilia, whatever the fuck it was. He didn't eat them. He, just, he didn't eat them. He just, he just was a necrophilia. Is his necrophilia. But it's just kind of like, I just remember seeing all the stuff with, like, his mom and that documentary being like like she really thought he there's no way he could have done it up until the very end where she was forced to have to face that he did it and well it just goes to show that it's not all nurture part of it is nature and sometimes things sometimes there's just a disconnect i think some people are wrong yeah i think some people are just boring yeah some there's just that that disconnect there that people can't control, or I, I don't know what it is. Because there definitely are the people. I think people like that. I think they can control it. They just don't want. They to. don't want. They to. don't want mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Because there obviously are. You know, the people where they were raised in like horrific environments. It's what they were taught. All they knew was violence. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, finding excuses where you want them, I don't know. Because I have also know people who, I think who, who were raised in those environments and ended up 
being the opposite. Being so humble, it just, yeah. you know. It's really just looking for an explanation because it's really hard. When you when you don't think that way, then when there's very clearly not a disconnect, mm-hmm. it's really I think it's just really hard to wrap your mind around how somebody could do that to another person. And it is, and that is actually a challenge that criminal lawyers face when they're picking juries. Because normal people, and I say normal people, but like your average layperson that doesn't have contact with the criminal justice system, that you know, the only time they ever walk into a courthouse is to probate grandma's will, you know? Right. Right. They have you know, you see it on you see it on TV or you see it in a movie, and you're just like, oh, that's horrifying. There is a disconnect between seeing it on TV and knowing that, oh my God, this stuff happens in my backyard. Yeah, like, this stuff happens in my county. There are people in my county that make child pornography. There are people in my county that are serial rapists, and a lot of times those people look like just the I'm guy, sure. the QT. So, uh, the very first time I had that realization, gosh, I can't remember how old I was. I had to have been in high school maybe, but my dad was on a jury of this like crazy murder case. Yeah. Who's on a death penalty jury. Oh wow. And they gave him the death penalty. This guy, he was my, I mean, my dad saw his up and down, like he was fucking guilty. And uh, part of why my dad was probably chosen is because my dad's the kind of person who'd be like, kill him. Like, if it, if it came down to it, he absolutely is the kind of person who'd be like, yeah, they should die. Do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they basically, this man dismembered, I want to say a woman, I don't remember the gender, but they dismembered somebody and scattered the remains all over the city. And so they found the torso just, like, hanging out in the middle of a graveyard, Ugh. like, not too far from, like, like, an area I know. Like, it could have been me after school who found it. Like, it was just crazy, and they found the hands, like, somewhere else, and they just completely scattered, like, body parts all over the place. And... I can't, I can't imagine being part of that. Yeah, and so... Yeah, and so my dad was... I would love to be on a jury. Yeah. Yeah, my dad was part of that jury, and, like, they gave him the death penalty, and I was just... Because I remember not being able to see him for, like, a week or two, and I was like, why can't I see my dad? Like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> Are you allowed to be on a jury? You can be on a jury that... It's just that no lawyer is going to let another lawyer on jury. Right, yeah. So when they're like, hey, do you have anything related to this person or this case? You can just be like, I'm a criminal defense or prosecutor or whatever. And they'd be like, okay, bye. (laughs) Due to, I would say, uh, due to me having family members within, like, I guess, the justice system, you could say, um, would would people not let me on a jury just because of my family? Um, It depends. Yeah. Like, I'm I mean, not a lawyer, a, but I know lawyers, like... Yeah, I mean, you could be on a civil jury. I don't know if I'd put you on a jury as a prosecutor or a defense attorney. I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like... It would like, depend on the case, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Because what's funny is that I've been called to jury duty four times, four years in a row, since I turned 18. So it was 18, 19, 20, 21, and I was a full-time student, so I was able to get out of it every time. And they never asked me back since. And I was like, oh, now that I'm out of school, they should have. They should have. I kind of want to know what the process is like. Like, I wasn't able to before, but now I kind of am curious about it. Yeah. (laughs) And now they don't want to call me anymore. But no, it was only three months after I turned 18. I was like, dang, they were were quick on that. They were on it. They were like, she's 18 now. Let's get her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've gotten called. I've gotten called once, and I didn't even have to. I didn't even have to go. I just got the summons, and then I never had to show up. Really? Why didn't you have to show up? I just, they summoned more people than they needed. And it was oh. one of those, you get the summons and, you know, call the night before. 
and see if you got to come in. And I kept calling all week, and I never had to go in. Huh. Huh. All I right. I was very sad. Oh, you want to be part of it? I did. I want to be. I would love to be on a jury. I think I have not too many more questions. There's another question that was asked by uh, a listener. They want to know if you personally has ever received, like, a death threat from someone you had put in prison as a prosecutor? Um, I never got a death threat, but I did, um, I was the subject of a threat, uh, several years ago. Um, I was prosecuting a a gang case, and I was listening to jail calls, and the guy, the guy was on the phone with his mama, I think, or his mama, or his baby mama, or something, and, and they were talking, and the, the female on the phone with him said something about, yeah, that prosecutor bitch, I'm gonna fuck her up. Something to that effect. And I kind of thought it was funny, because I was like, yeah, I don't know, she thinks she's gonna fuck me up, yeah, whatever, you know? And, like, it didn't, <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. Like, I thought it was funny, so I go and told, you know, one of the other lawyers in my office, and I was like, ha lol, like, isn't this funny? And my boss was like, oh my gosh, no, this is awful and terrible, and you need to go tell the chief investigator. And I was like, they're not gonna do anything to me. And she said, if you don't tell them, I will, you know, they need to open an investigation. And I was like, come on. Like, this is not, no one's going to mess with me. Yeah. This phone call happened three weeks ago. Like, if they were going to kill me, I'd be dead by now. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, I found out later that I did have a security detail for a few weeks. Really? Um, yeah. They didn't tell you? They didn't tell me. I didn't find out for a couple of years. Wow. I had, I had investigators in our office following me from, following me from home to work and from work to home. Making sure you're safe. Making sure I was safe. That's awesome. And they told me that I was a stalker's wet dream because I stopped at the, I left home at the same time every day. I went the same way every morning. I stopped at the same convenience store and bought a monster every morning. And I pulled into the same parking spot and put my makeup on every morning. And I left work at the same time and I stopped at the same convenience store and I got a road soda and then I went home every day. And they were like, you need to switch that up. You need 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 variety in your life. We're not concerned about your health, but we are concerned about your life right now. We're concerned on the off chance you do happen to have a stalker because they're going to know exactly where to go when. And I said, did y'all see? Y'all didn't see me stopping and getting a road soda that one time. And the the investigator that I was talking to said, it's it's against policy for us to discuss the actions of the protectee. And I just thought that was funny. But yes, I had a detail. I mean, it wasn't technically a death threat, but yes, I did have a detail one time. Okay, that is, that's funny. So you've never actually really felt, like, worried for your life or safety. I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I did hear this, like, I took some legal courses in college, and the only professor I ever had who said that she got death threats regularly was someone who specialized in family law. It's that That something. That doesn't shock me. Yeah. Domestic cases, they're crazy. Yeah. The only time I ever really felt like I was in danger, it wasn't even a specific threat, but do y'all remember a few years ago that federal prosecutor in North Carolina, she had put some gangbanger in prison for like forever and a day, and they wound up kidnapping her dad. <gasps> they went to go find her, and they wound up at her parents' house, and they kidnapped her dad, and they wound up finding him, I want to say somewhere in metro Atlanta, and they were telling him... Like, and the, the guy that she had put away ended up being able to get a phone in prison, which is, like, way more common than it should be. Yeah. Um, and he orchestrated this whole plot from the North Carolina prison system. And they found this guy, like, I want to say, I want to say somewhere in Cobb County, maybe. Um, really? But apparently this, and he was okay. He, they, they hadn't killed him yet. 
Thank goodness. But they were talking about that they were gonna they were gonna use him to get to her, and they were gonna put her on trial, and they were gonna seek the death penalty, and they were gonna make him watch. And somehow they were able to get the phone from the dude in the prison system, and do a trap and trace, and a bunch of ping the phones that he was having contact with, and eventually able to find the location of where these people were. Holy and they were able to, shit. And they were able to rescue the guy. Oh my god, was the guy but okay? That, but yeah, kind of condition I mean, I was he they, in? I, mean, I think they beat the shit out of him, but he was, I mean, he was alive, and yeah. relatively unscathed in light of what he had been through. God. Um, yeah. But I remember, um, because at that point, when I was a prosecutor, I didn't go by my married name. I went by my maiden name, because I didn't want somebody showing up at my house. And yeah. then I realized, oh my God, if somebody went to find me, they'd go and find my dad. And I texted my dad and I was just like, oh my God, I think I actually called him. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, this is awful and terrible. And I just want to let you know, I love you. And he said, and he said something along the lines of, if, if somebody's going, he said, don't worry about the old man. I can take care of myself. If somebody's going to kill me with my own gun, they better be ready to beat me to death with it. Okay. Dad the cop. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was say, how have you ever? Sorry, I know I'm more interested in when you were a prosecutor versus your defense uh, job, okay. but it's just because it's fine. Um, have you ever prosecuted against someone who's just like the definition just of an absolute moron, like just like some of the dumbest people you'd ever seen? Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. I um, think that goes both ways. Have you ever defended? Oh a yeah, idiot too. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This one lady that I prosecuted. She, um, she was an undocumented immigrant and she had bought a social security number from like, you know, the guy at the Chevron station and was using it to work in, you know, somewhere, I don't remember, some restaurant, I think. And the guy whose social security number it was lived in like, I don't know, Idaho or somewhere. And, and it just was what it was. I mean, it's identity fraud. And I mean, and I had offered her, you know, straight probation, but she was going to get deported because she wasn't, she was here illegally. And she didn't want to get deported. And I don't know if she didn't understand. Obviously, there was a language barrier. I don't, I don't know if she didn't understand what was being said to her or if her attorney was just really bad at her job. Three or four weeks before I tried her, another lawyer in my in my courtroom had tried somebody else for, like, the exact same thing. Bought a social security number, would, you know, used it to go work at some hotel, and got prosecuted for it and got... You know, whatever the sentence was, something served too, I think. And I told the the attorney on this woman's case, I said, here is what is going to happen to her. It's the same judge. It's almost an identical set of facts. You know, she needs to, she needs to plea. Like she needs to take her, you know, three years probation or whatever it was and just get deported and be on her way. I mean, like she's going to go to prison because she's going to get convicted. There is no defense. And because it just was what it was. I mean, she held the cops, asked her, Did, is this your number? No. Where'd you get it? From, you know, the guy at the Chevron. And, I mean, it was just, there was no defense at all. And the attorney was like, yeah, yeah, I told her that, I told her that. And I said, you want me to tell her that? Yeah. And so me and the lawyer and the interpreter go into the little conference room, and I explain to her step by step, here's what is going to happen. Here's what happened two weeks ago. Here's what's going to happen in two weeks if you have a trial. Do you understand this? And she just kind of looked blank. Well, I don't know. And I said, do you need a minute to talk to your lawyer? And she said, yes. So they had a conversation, I guess, and ended up having a trial. And sure as shit, six serve two. And she starts wailing and hollering and crying and wanting her probation. And I'm going, we tried. I tried. Yeah. I tried. I tried to tell you. But I have no idea if that was 
I mean, the interpreter was a good interpreter. I mean, no reason to think that she didn't get the information. She just didn't know how to process it, I guess. I don't know. That's... It doesn't get more clear. Wishful thinking, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I, some people I don't yeah. understand. So um, earlier we were talking about, um, you mentioned how they you get desensitized in the academy. I know that's something we mentioned before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that process like of having to be desensitized to all these horrific things? Um, it depends. Um, you know, as prosecutors, you don't really get it. Um, as defense attorneys, you don't really get that. But, like, when you're in law enforcement training, like, if you're in right. the, you know, the Cobb County Police Academy or the Gwinnett County Police Academy or the FBI Academy, um, they do do some of that. And I don't know if it's for the purpose of desensitate, desens, you know what I'm trying to say? Desensitizing? <laughs> yeah. Desensitization? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it is, if it is, I guess directly for that purpose, but that's the upshot of it. I mean, that's the result anyway. Right. If it's, or if it's more just to let people know, like, here is the kind of fucked up stuff you're going to see on the job at some point. And yeah. just to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are a couple things that are, that are used. Um, one I know is, uh, and every now and then, you know, especially when, when a cop gets killed on duty, it kind of goes viral again as a video it's a dash cam video of um, of a sheriff's deputy in rural Georgia, I think, range maybe. I, I don't remember. Um, but it's a guy named Kyle Dinkeller. He was a he was a patrol officer. I think he was I think it was the sheriff's department. But he had pulled over this guy. And on the dash cam, I mean, you can see it. This guy, the guy that he pulled over, just a random traffic stop. And this guy just goes completely insane and shoots the cop to death on the video and fuck you pig fuck you I mean just goes completely insane and this cop winds up dead and getting shot to death right there on video and it's <coughs> that is shown to police academies all over the country um, because cops I mean you don't know what you're walking up on whenever you I mean whenever you pull somebody over you don't know what kind of person is in there you don't know if they're armed you don't know if they're going to be like one of the three of us, you know, you see a cop way over and you show your hands and you're polite and you're nice and you're going to be compliant. Or if it's some gangbanger that is has just escaped from somewhere and is going to shoot and kill anyone that he sees. So I know that that one's used. There is a one that's in this book that you have here, Katie. Yeah, I have this the, book called The Big Book of Serial Killers. <clears throat> Very fun. And one of the pairs of people that's referenced in there is a guy named Lawrence Bittaker and a guy named Roy Norris. And they, in the... I think it's the late 70s, they were called the toolbox killers. I think they ended up getting convicted of, I want to say, four or five murders. And they were, um, they would torture these girls. And I think the youngest one was like 14 or 15. I think the oldest one was 18 or 19. Um, but I mean, awful, terrible stuff that they did to these girls. I mean, you talk about having the shit beat out of you. I mean, crushed bones Ugh. and, you know, you mentioned uh, having something, was it pliers inserted? Pliers inserted into... Just like twisted around? Various orifices to just destroy the genitalia of Ugh. these girls. Having their breasts ripped off, having their Ugh. eyelids cut. I mean, it's awful and terrible. They were called the toolbox killers, and all this happened in the back of a van where they had, like, strapped a gurney and had all of these... Toolbox? Like, construction tools. tools? Okay. Construction tools all over the place. Oh, it's so, like drills but and... But they would... Ooh. Yeah, drills were one of them, and tire irons and... You know, they would kill them by wrapping a coat hanger around their necks and just twisting them until 
Ugh. until they died. But they would record them. They would audio record these women screaming for their lives. And those recordings are often played at, at, the, at the FBI Academy. As wow. part of their training. I still... It's sick enough to want to do that to anybody, but to, like, record it to, like, what, like, enjoy it later? Listen to yeah, it. Oh, yeah, my God. I find it interesting that they only audio recorded it and then video record themselves, but you know what? Oh, my, I right. understand their mind. They're clearly not and well. Bitteker is still on death row. He got sentenced to death. The Roy Norris ended up pleading guilty and testifying against Bitteker. What year did this happen? No, I want to look it up. Bitteker, um, is, I believe, still on death row. Wherever. This sounds like the 70s. California. Oh, well, they have a whole nurture versus nature chapter <laughs> in this book. Oh, yeah. There are some people like H.H. H. Holmes who literally quoted, I was born with the devil in me. They just, like you said, were born evil. Mm-hmm. So I guess some people just feel that in them and want to do it. I don't know if uh, how familiar you are with H.H. H. Holmes's. Not as much. I'm, I'm more of a modern-day serial killer connoisseur. <laughs> yeah. So does that mean Bitteker? Uh, Bitteker got the death penalty, but he's still, sorry, he's still uh, pending execution, I think. I'm curious to know when that happened. Yeah, uh, oh, there he is, Lawrence Bitteker. I think it was the late 70s. So, he was... I, yeah, that's like, exactly what I guessed. They were born in the 40s, <laughs> yeah, 70s. late 70s. Yeah, we have all of the most gruesome shit we find. They're all in the fucking 70s, and we're just like, number one, hitchhiking, y'all got to stop that shit. First, right? first and foremost, what the fuck? That was not okay. <laughs> Get an Uber. It's, <laughs> it's more traceable. <laughs> it is more traceable. It doesn't mean you won't. I prosecuted the guy that was an Uber driver that raped a girl. What? In oh, the Uber. He was the driver? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that's scary. Terrifying. <clears throat> yeah, Bitteker was sentenced to death, still awaiting execution. Norris received a sentence of 45 years because he um, testified Which against. Which at age 40 is essentially life. Yeah, I was about to say because. Norris was born in 1948. Bitteker was born in 1940. I wonder how, how long. How many victims? Uh, they had one, two, five, three, four, five. five. There's five victims. Wow. Surely, Shirley Ledford was the one that you said that. That's the one that they recorded. That they recorded. Well, they recorded all of them, but that she's she's the one. She that, was 16. Where yeah. if, you, if you Google it, you can Google it and you can read the transcript of her. Of that recording. Oh, God. And it, just reading the transcript is enough to... This all happened in one year. Yeah, to give you a nightmare. It all happened in, like, six months. This is June, July, September, and October. They did two girls at once on the same mm-hmm. day, September 3rd. Which they looked... Oh, my God. I that's just, horrific. That's, I, don't, I will never understand the mind of a... I don't think anyone will. No. Not unless you, like, we, It's crazy. One. There's all these documentaries and all of these, like... There's the things behind the mind of a serial killer and all this stuff, and there's there's no firm grasp on what does this. So somebody crack. Someone recently uh, commented, and they were like, "Girls today are fucked up because they're so interested in murder and serial killers and all this bullshit." And I was like, first of all, not a new trend. Second of all, we're usually the victims. So thanks. Right. If I want to learn about something that could happen to me, okay. It's not just about, it's not like I'm actively trying to desensitize myself and like not be scared or something. Sometimes you can, you find <sighs> not trends necessarily, but like little like red flags, I think, to look out yeah. for when you listen to the stuff and you read about it mm-hmm. and you're just like, this person did this, you know, like right. stuff you could have taken to try and avoid it. 
you know, it's... We even have some friends where, like, they would get in the car with a stranger, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, right. there's just, like, sometimes I, I feel like I definitely do have some friends, both male and female, where they just, like, do not have the common sense when it comes to interacting with strangers. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what was, what? Like, why do you not see a red flag in this situation? Because they didn't obsess about murder. I, you know <laughs> what? Maybe they'd be safer. <laughs> <laughs> gets to me <laughs> yeah it's scary That's yeah scary. and and i think i think you can actually i want to say oh. that you can find the recording somewhere if you google deep enough honestly um, i'm tempted but the like, transcript also, is, also the transcript is bad i just oh, found God. the atlanta child killer in here which we talked about on a recent atlanta episode child murders yeah we talked yeah. about that in a recent episode oh, did you yeah and like the known victims that's mm-hmm. a Huge ass you know list. That, you know that uh, that's a huge list. You know that one of the partners at Alex's law firm tracked Wayne Williams. What? Get out! Really? Oh my gosh! But yeah, we did. They've a, actually the city of Atlanta has reopened that case. Have they really? Recently, Keisha Lance Bottoms said, "Oh, there was a press conference not too long ago. She said that they were going to reopen it and look at it because there's there when they when that case was tried, it was one of the first cases in Georgia that was tried using um, a lot of di- a lot of brand new forensic technology, you know, hair and fiber and things like that. And there was, the thing is, I had, I read a book about it, a book written by a guy named Jack Mallard. He was one of the other prosecutors on that case. Um, I have an autographed copy. Ooh. Um, purportedly, there were some holes in the case. Um, but yeah, Wayne Williams has always, has always maintained his innocence. Yeah. Wow. And he's been in prison since the early 80s. Yeah. No, that's... Because I think those happened in, I think, like, 82, 81, 82, something like that. Yeah, let me right. try to get back to it. To has the, all that info. Um, I know that you told me that you had never tried a, uh, a capital case. You've never tried a serial killer. I've never tried a death penalty case. Um, I've never tried somebody that killed more than one person. Okay. At least that I knew about. Right. Um, Have you known anyone else? Who has, like, oh, yeah, you know, friends, like, that done serial killers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Like, how often do you see those types of cases come up? Serial killers don't come up that, that Which often. I didn't think so, um, which is why I'm curious. Death penalty cases, I mean, those are not, those are not as common as they used to be, but it still happens. Does, is there usually, like, a, I assume it's, like, murder or... Murder. Yeah. There murder. has to be a body. Okay, a there has to be a body. Um, Pitch for the, actually, interesting bit of trivia... The case that led to the nationwide moratorium on the death penalty was a Georgia murder case. Oh, wow. And the case that led to the reinstatement of the uh, death penalty in Georgia was a Georgia case. Do you remember what cases those were? Yes. One of them was, oh gosh, and you just asked me, the one that reinstated it was Greg v. Georgia. I think the one, the first one was Furman, Furman v. Georgia, I think. But Greg v. Georgia was the one that reinstated it, and there was a... The moratorium actually affected, um, I'm on, I'm having all kinds of tangents. No, you're totally fine. Charles Manson was sentenced to death for the Manson, for the Manson family killings. Right. Furman v. Georgia happened with, and the moratorium after he got sentenced. So Charles Manson is up for parole like every seven years or something. Because when you get, if you get the death penalty and the death penalty goes away, it's not commuted to life without parole. It's commuted to life with parole. But, um. How does that make sense? I, the hell if I know. So, um, so everybody with a death sentence, that death sentence got commuted to life. With it was parole. A parole eligible life. That's insane. So Charles Manson, every now and then, he'll come up for parole. Well, didn't well, he, he die? Died? Yeah, he died. But he got. But he was he was eligible for parole. I think he was considered for parole several times before he died. I mean, always denied. Well, there's no way in hell they were gonna let him yeah. go. I mean, are you kidding right. me? There's no. 
I took a death penalty law class in law school, and the um, Greg v. Georgia. So after the moratorium, they the the United States Supreme Court had said that it was to do with the statute that governs death penalty cases, and you'll hear them refer to as aggravating circumstances, and that they were not sufficient. So then the Georgia legislature rewrote the death penalty statute. And the first case that was tried on that new death penalty statute was Greg v. Georgia. And the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, heard that case and said, okay, this is a good statute. And oh. so a lot of states... And now it has to be unanimous, right? It's like before... In Georgia, it does, yes. Okay, yeah. There it's like has before, to be... you, it had to be majority, and now it's unanimous. Uh, I think in Georgia, it always had to be unanimous. There <laughs> okay. are some states that it does not have to be unanimous. Oh, okay. Um, but in Georgia, yes, to for a finding of guilt, it has to be... All twelve, and for a finding of the death penalty, it has to be all twelve. What did what did he do? Or uh, don't you don't remember? I don't remember. Probably killed. Probably killed a couple people. Probably killed some people in a brutal me. way, and they were like, "Fuck you, you should they die." Like, yeah. Have you ever uh, been present when a death penalty was passed? Yes, you have. Mm-hmm. Do you mind talking about the experience at all? Um, yeah. The um, actually, it was um. That first prosecutor, whose case I made me go to law school, she tried a death penalty case back in uh, several years ago. Before she, obviously, before she was a Superior Court judge. Yeah, this guy killed two people. He um, uh, he was a meth head. Everybody was a meth head. Let me see if I remember this correctly. He he killed. Yeah, the guy that he killed had previously dated his sister, the defendant's sister. Mm-hmm. And the defendant's sister was also a meth head. And apparently there was some, for whatever the reason, the defendant believed that the that some meth that had been given to his sister by this guy caused an overdose, which led to her eventual just becoming a vegetable. She was paralyzed. Oh, or my gosh. And so he harbored this vendetta against this guy. Shows up with his junkie girlfriend to this dude's house where he's there with his girlfriend. And he just shot and killed him. Just walked up to him, shot him in the back of the head, and he dropped. The female was, oh my God, you killed him, you killed him. And he just, and he shot her. She turned her head at right the at just the right moment, and he didn't kill her. He blew the front part of her face off. Ugh. So she's on Ugh, the ground. Which in a way almost feels worse. So she's on the ground on all fours, and he walked up to her and shot her through the top of the head and killed her. Oh, so he shot her twice. He shot her twice. And, um... But he but he got convicted, and then his his girlfriend, the defendant's girlfriend, ended up testifying against him. But yeah, they he got convicted of both murders, and there was a death verdict on both murder counts, and within like a couple hours. Oh my god! And I think that was I think that was the first case. I want to say that was the first one of the first death penalty cases tried in the state of Georgia after Troy Davis was executed. Wow! And so people were like, "Oh my god, nobody's ever going to get the death penalty again in Georgia." That's crazy. Wow. And you and you saw it. You saw him. I watched that trial. Was it in inje- it's injection lethal injection? It is now, yeah. What was it at the time? I think it was lethal injection. They got rid of the chair. It's gotta be a, a weird you know, uh interesting trivia fact. <clears throat> in the prison down in Jackson, because um, the death Georgia's death row is at the Georgia Diagnostic and Classification Prison in Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um there they have the old electric chair and they called it Sparky. Oh, yeah. oh, oh! It has a name. His name is. Sparky. And it just, but it's now basically like decor because they don't use it. They do lethal it's injection. All, it's all Eighth Amendment stuff. Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. It was the pain. But they just kept it just because they kept the chair. Yeah, but that's why they do lethal injection now. Right. Oh, it's gotta be so 
weird to just watch someone die like that. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's, it's not weird. I've never done it, so I couldn't really... I mean, I would think it is a little unsettling. Yeah. But we were talking while you were um, while you were out, while you had stepped out, Kelly. Um, Katie had asked, you know, whether... I think you had asked something about, you know, if you were going to, if you're a prosecutor and you're asking for the death penalty, do you go and watch the execution? Yeah. And they are, the prosecutors on a death penalty case, they are invited to attend the execution. And you can go if you want to, or you don't have to, but. Right. Is it like direct family and then there's associated with the case? Yeah. Like the defense team gets to go. The appellate team gets to go. um, The prosecution team gets to go, you know, and I think family. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that's, like, open to the public. Right. How, how are There's you usually, I mean, there are news crews there, but not in the Not de- in not the, in the outside. De- not yeah, because it's, like, a, from what I understand, it's, like, a pretty small room. It's, like, a Yeah, and there's two, it's two rooms. It's not, like, a... It's separated by glass. Public execution. Yeah, yeah and you just watch it from one side. But that, you can hear them. You can hear them on the other side. Oh, and I, they're out there, and they, they're on a gurney with their arms out like this, and they're kind of tilted up so they can see. Ugh. And, um... Kelly Gissendaire, when she was executed, apparently she died singing Amazing Grace. And apparently she was singing, and then all of a sudden she wasn't singing anymore. And that was it. She was dead. Wow. That's usually about two two to three minutes. Oof. Haunting. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's that's a haunting way to end that. (laughs) (laughs) On a brighter note. I was going to say, if we want to, like, maybe not end on such an intense bummer. um, I made a defendant cry one time. Somebody. I mean, um, a defendant cried. Well, well, I mean, they, I hope they, they cried. They cried. killed someone. What, what, have you ever had like a goofy case? A goofy case? Yeah, like, like something just, like somebody who you had to like prosecute or defend that like did something ridiculous. You know, like you ever seen that gif of like the yeah, the, <laughs> the guy thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. He's yeah. like, girl, you're thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. And he's so, just like, hey. so the guy, so the prosecutor was like up there having to read what he said to his victim mm-hmm. or whatever. And the guy's sitting there, and he's in you know he's the like, orange jumpsuit, and he's got the handcuffs on or whatever. And this is literally like in the courtroom, and the prosecutor she reads out, and um, he said to her. Girl, you are thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. And, and then just goes, the camera pans to him and he just goes. And then later, a reporter um, interviews him while he's like in prison. And they go, What do you have to say about, like, why did you say that? Like, she's thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. And he was like, She was fine. Like, she was good. Like, he just like was just fully going off on the comment about how this woman just had a fat ass. I guess. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I, I prosecuted a guy one time for like, armed robbery, I think. And he had armed robbed a, he had armed robbed a prostitute. And, oh, let me see if I remember this right. He had, um, he had tied her up with duct tape, I think. And I think they were able to find him because his fingerprint was on the inside of the duct tape or some DNA was on the inside of the duct tape. But anyway, he had taped her hands behind her back. And then, like, took her cell phone or her wallet or something. That's what she said. And he wanted a trial. And so we were trying this case. And he gets up on the witness stand, and he's testifying. And he had, and his attorney, you know, said something about, you know, well, explain to the jury how, you know, how this happened or whatever. And this dude, I promise you, he, and this was in front of the a judge who is very straight-laced. I mean, 
just super, super straight laced. Doesn't, you know, doesn't laugh inappropriately, nothing. And this guy never utters a swear word, nothing. And this dude was like, I, right. and so he gets up and he's like, well, you know, I got her, I got her on all fours, you know, like doggy style. You know what I'm talking about? And he looks at the jury <laughs> and he throws his, and he throws his leg up on, I'm wearing a dress so I won't do it, but he throws his leg up onto the witness stand. He stands up, he throws his leg up on the, on the witness stand and he's like, and we was doing the do. And he's doing oh, no! hands like this. And the jury was looking at him like, and looking at each other like, oh my God, like, is this what? happening? Like, what is going on? And I'm sitting at the, at the, at the prosecution table, like, trying to hold it together. <laughs> and, like, not laugh. And meanwhile, the defense attorney is probably And the just defense like, attorney is just like, I'm nothing else. Like, I mean, he sits down. <laughs> no further questions. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't. I don't even know. I, you know, and the judge looks at me, you know, cross examination, and I'm like, do I need to do anything? Yeah, like, I don't even know. Whatever. I mean, oh my god. We were doing the do, and he's, he's I mean, like, doing his arms back and forth. Oh my god. <laughs> With his leg up, like, humping the Truly, bar. I mean, I promise you, threw his leg up on, like, his foot up on top of the witness stand. Doing the do. What? Doing the do. This guy, this That's guy. That's a good bowl of oatmeal. And then, like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> Mountain Dew is like, damn, we should have thought of it. Right. <laughs> oh my I mean, god. This is a person who had been on the jail video visit. Me, they were all recorded. Yeah. And had bought a comb at the commissary. He's on the video visit with his girlfriend or baby mama or whatever. And he holds it up and he's like, hey, baby, you think my dick this big? And she's like, nah, boo, your dick ain't that big. I mean, like, having this conversation on a jail call that is recorded. <laughs> oh my god. And my investigator came into my office and was like, I'm not listening to anymore. <laughs> I'm done. I am done. We're done. And then six weeks later, he's like, "We were doing the do." <laughs> you know what? He, you know what? He earned his. He earned his lesson. He got convicted of theft by taking, and it's uh, it's fine. He earned that. Doing the do in front of the jury. Oh he's a God. showman, really. I mean, really. Oh my, oh my God. God, that's crazy. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I just would never think about the kind of people you would see going in and out of court all the time who are just like, like, who just aren't even like, they're not even here. They don't live on this planet. They live somewhere else. Yeah. I had, was picking a jury one summer and this kid showed up. I mean, probably 19, 20, like a college kid. And as a prosecutor, the summer juries are the worst because it's all college kids that are, you know, the hippie dippy college kids that are back from school. Yeah. And this kid showed up to jury, to jury service. With a T-shirt with a big marijuana leaf on it. Oh God! Because you know, and I was trying a traffic, a marijuana trafficking case, and I was like, "Well, he, strike." Well, I'm sure he did that on purpose to not be picked. Because yeah. you hear people. That's have funny. you ever seen anyone try say or do anything ridiculous to not be on a jury? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And nothing really comes to mind, but there was. I remember, I do remember one female one time who every question I asked, she raised her hand. Every single one. When I pick a jury, I, you know, there are, and every jurisdiction does it differently, but, you know, you'll have a bunch of what are called general questions that you ask of the whole panel. And then you either bring them in, bring prospective jurors in one by one or panel by panel of 12. But you ask, you know, anybody had a bad experience with law enforcement or who here knows anybody in the DA's office or who here been the victim of an armed robbery, whatever. But every single question I asked, and she's... You know, and then she wanted to talk about it. Every, I mean, and oh God, talking to her about every question. I mean, it took like 30 minutes. And I wanted to be like, 
And eventually, I'm just like, you know what? You're lying, and I don't care. Just whatever. I'm done. Yeah. Just go. Like, just you're, go. We're and, done here. and the thing is, like, I don't know how she's going to behave on a jury, but the defense attorney doesn't know how she's going to behave on a jury. So we were yeah. both like, strike. Strike. Yeah. Yeah, like, we don't want this person. So you decide together. Agreement. Do what? So you and the, uh, you know. Defense. I mean, I, I ended up, I mean, I ended up striking her, but the defense, the defense attorney didn't want her either. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you decided together or you. No, like, we just were talking about it. Oh, and, I, you okay. know, like, she's crazy or, you know, we don't know. Well, she's a loose cannon, like, no idea what she's going to do. Right. And yeah. I was just like, I'm going to strike her. Whenever right. I think of people getting out of jury duty, I think of that 30 Rock episode. Me too. Where I'm Tina Fey Princess Leia. And she's like, um, actually, I don't think that I would qualify to be on a jury because I'm technically a hologram. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just people being really <laughs> upset. That's funny. I'm sure there's just so many things people have done all over the country to try to get out of jury duty, but I just. But yeah. it's your civic duty. You should it do. It is your you civic should, duty. You should serve on a jury. Yeah. I think it would be fun. I think it depends on the case. It would be fun. If it's something like insurance fraud, I'd be like, I don't care. Well, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. You know? Yeah. Do <laughs> they know beforehand? Um. Yeah. I mean, when they come into the courtroom. They tell you what the type of... Yeah, they'll say, like, you know, we're hearing criminal cases today, this is bill of indictment number, blah, blah, blah. Right, because State versus so-and-so. Because they ask you that ahead of time because they want to know if you've been involved in a case like that before, someone close to you has, or if you've been convicted of that same crime. So they have to tell you what the crime is ahead of time on the off chance that... Well, they read the indictment. So, like, when you first come in, they'll say, you know, welcome to courtroom, you know, this is Division One of, you know, Fulton County Superior Court. We're yeah. here in criminal cases today, and the next case on the calendar is 18B, blah, 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 or whatever. Okay. Um, state versus so-and-so charged with whatever, then they'll read the indictment. Okay, and then they just read what mm-hmm. has happened. Okay. All right, well, that's doing the do. Doing do, do. do your duty. Doing the do-ty. I'm oh, serving that in a jury. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Hey, maybe a bunch of this big hell Like, what am I listening to? Like, that's all I want to listen to now. Now I just want to listen to, like, weird jail calls. Yeah. Like, is that is there a place I can go and do that? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, there Probably. has to be out there somewhere. Oh. I've listened to people have phone sex on the jail calls. Oh, so, like, amazing. That's oh, yeah. It's terrible. Oh, my god. Well, thanks for having me on your show, guys. Yay! Yeah. Thank you for coming. Thanks for coming. This was really fun. I'm really glad. And um, I don't know how we want to end these interview ones. I guess just kind of like, uh, do your duty. Do, do the duty. <laughs> do the do. Hey, everyone, just make just do the do. Doing your do. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Music by freestockmusic.com. For blog posts showing visuals for each episode, you can find our blog at cotmpodcast.com. If you'd like to help support us and receive discounts and loyalty rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash coronthemacabre. We record every episode live Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash thetigerwizard. If you can't find us on your favorite podcast app or site, please let us know and we'll fix that. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on episodes, blog posts, and special events. And don't forget, keep it creepy.